0: If you got your Bible, 2 Kings chapter number 6 is where we'll be at this evening. 2 Kings chapter 6. I'll give you a chance to find it. We're going to start reading in verse number 8. Have you ever been having a great day or maybe a great week or a great month? Everything seems to be going right and then something just blindsides you right out of nowhere. So uh, a couple weeks ago, Heather and I, we were gearing up to go to her sister's graduation. Cayman Litell is actually graduating as well from Crown College, and so we were going to go up there. And for, for me, I wasn't so much as looking forward to the graduation. It's big, it's long, I think it was about two and a half hours, all for like 30 seconds when they get their name called. And then they, it's over. It's a big one. but I was looking forward to really just uh, the little mini vacation that it was going to be, and get and I, we have some friends up there, and you know we did some uh, mountain biking and different things. So leading up to that, you know, just super excited to go. The morning of Heather doesn't know I'm telling this story. The morning of, I wake up hearing Heather in the bathroom with the door closed, vomiting profusely. Now, I'm not very old, but I do know what it means when, you know, a woman throws up in the morning, okay? And I'm thinking, here we go again, number two's on the way. not saying that that's a bad thing, but you know what, hey, it just wasn't really what I was, you know, expecting. So I go in there, so I go in the bathroom, you know, because I'm such a loving husband, and I just care about how she feels, and I just ask, you know. Do you think you have morning sickness and thankfully she said no she said it feels different i don't know how it feels different but i guess you women that have had children know you know the difference and so wow i mean i woke up quick when i heard that and so i settled back down but still she was sick and she was sick to her stomach and we're thinking okay it's possible we may not even be able to go you know we've been looking forward to this thing and out of nowhere we just get blindsided by it. We get on the plane. We end up going. No later than the next day, Mason goes, and he breaks out in a rash from literally his top of his head to the bottom of his feet, completely covered. Some of you had seen the pictures of it. Um, so we called up our family doctor, Ms. Uh, Jama Gillespie. I've learned to call her instead of the real doctor because she tells you the truth. I'm just going to start sending my money to her, too, as well. And so we call her up, you know, thinking, oh, my goodness, we're out of the state. You know, our, loc- our doctor isn't there. And so we thought we were going to have to take him in. You know, it's going to be three, four hours in the waiting room, waiting a big long. Turned out it was uh, Roseola. I think that's how you pronounce it, right? Yep, that's what it was. And it just goes away after a few days. It's not itchy. You know, there's no really medication. It's just a virus. And so on top of Heather being sick, and for, the, for three or four days, she was just almost just bedridden, couldn't do anything, because she was so sick. It turned out, after going to the doctors twice for her while we were on vacation, uh, it turned out it was just a virus, and she just had to wait it out, and sure enough, she got better. But you know what? We were all hyped up, and we were excited, and you know, times I would say were good, not a cloud in the sky, and then out of nowhere, just something whacks you. And that's kind of what was happening in this story. Israel was going through, uh, you know, a, a good time. They weren't having uh, very many problems. And then out of nowhere, um, Elisha and this servant—they something comes and it kind of blindsides them out of nowhere. We're going to read about that uh, today, uh, starting in verse number eight. If you get your Bible, 2 Kings six, it says, "Then the king of Israel—I'm uh, sorry, then the king of Syria—warned against Israel and took counsel with his servants, saying." And such and such a place shall be my camp. And the man of God sent unto the king, saying, Beware that thou pa- pass not such a place, for thither the Syrians are come down. And the king of Israel sent to the place which the man of God told him and warned him of, and saved himself there, not once, not twice. Therefore the heart of the king of Syria was sore troubled for this thing, and he called his servants and said unto them, Will ye not show me which of us is for the king of Israel? And one of his servants said, None, my lord, O king, but Elisha, the prophet that is in Israel, telleth the king of Israel the words that thou speakest in thy bedchamber. Let's pray, and we'll get into it. Lord, thank you for the opportunity that we have to be in your house this evening. Thank you that we still have uh, Sunday evening church services, where you can come hear the preaching and um, preaching of your word and uh, singing uh, songs to you. We thank you for that. I pray for the next few moments that you put everything out of our mind, all the plans The things that we have going on tonight and throughout the week, just uh, 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 take them away out of our minds that we can focus uh, on what you'd have us right now. In Jesus' name, amen. This passage is kind of broken up into two or three different sections, and so this is one. We'll get into the rest of it in just a minute. But the story starts out with the king of Syria making war, uh, or really just making raids against Israel. We're not really sure. It doesn't actually say... Uh, why he was doing it. Um, but it's kind of interesting. If you, if you would notice a few chapters ago, you would think that Syria and Israel, they would be on good terms. Uh, uh, Naaman, which was one of the captains uh, of the army that was there, he had just got a huge favor from the Israelites. You remember he sent the message to the king. He had leprosy asking for help. Elisha came. He dipped in the Jordan River seven times, and he was miraculously healed. But apparently, Only a few short years later, that's all forgotten, and now they're making war um, against Israel. Verse 8 tells us uh, that the king, he is now discussing with his servants, he's discussing with them what is the best way, uh, the best plan of attack that he can take to catch the Israelites off guard. Now, the way... The king of Syria was planning on attacking was not the traditional way that a lot of these countries would, would do back then. Normally what they would do is they would just march into a city and take it over city by city by city. Or what they would do, another common way, was they would lay siege on the city where they would surround it and not let anybody in, not let anybody out. They'd often block off the water source that they would have and starve them out. But they took a little bit different of an approach here. They would go and they would just set up where they felt like the Israelites would be coming by. Maybe the army would be coming by. The king would be coming by. And they were waiting for him to pass by certain spots. And then they would jump out and basically ambush them and take them over. Um, and verse 9 tells us, if you look at it, the man of God, at this time it would have been Elisha, he was supernaturally informed of God about what the plan of attack was going to be, the exact place, the exact time, everything. Elisha then sent messengers over to the king, which would have been Jehoram at the time uh, in Israel. And, of course, Jehoram sent spies over to see if it was true. And, of course, every single time that Elisha said they would be somewhere, they were. And, miraculously, they were saved. Verse 10 also tells us, It gives us really the impression that this was not just a one-time thing. This was not just two times. It gives us the impression that it was many times. And he saved himself, therefore, not once, not twice, maybe three, four, five, six times, who knows how many. But at this point, the king of Syria, he was getting a little bit weary. He was getting upset that none of his plans were working. And he figured out that it must be one of his own people that is now ratting him out. He thinks that way because, really, we see in the other in the uh, verses to go that he says, oh, I've only really spoken of this in my bedchamber, really in the secretest places he has talked about this. So he goes and he confronts his servant, which one of you in here is for the king of Israel? And one of the servants replies, and he says, none of us. He says, but it's Elisha, the prophet. He's the one that's been telling the king uh, what's going to go on. What's happening here is the times are good in Israel. God's provided for them. He's allowed them to escape uh, the attacks of the Assyrians multiple times. And hey, times are good, but there was something that was coming. They were going to get blindsided by something. First thing we see here is the problem. We see the problem. Verse number 13, let's go ahead and read it. And it says, And he said, Go and spy where he is, talking about Elisha, that I may send and fetch him. And it was told him, saying, Behold, he is in Dothan. Therefore, sent he thither horses and chariots and a great host, and they came by night and compassed the city about. And when the servant of the man of God was risen early and gone forth, behold, an host compassed about the city with horses and chariots. And his servant said unto him, Alas, master, how shall we do? After the king heard it was Elijah foiling foiling his plans, he went and he sent out what seems to be a massive group of people, a massive group of soldiers with horses, chariots, Footman to go and capture Elisha. I'm not sure why. Maybe he wanted to imprison him. Maybe he thought that Elisha was some kind of like a magic genie that could do whatever he wanted to. Who knows? But he sent out to capture him. The following morning, the servant, which uh, he was a young servant, he rose up early and he went out to find that the entire city was surrounded by enemy soldiers. I imagine that he immediately... Ran back inside yelling, Master Elisha, wake up, wake up. Hey, we're surrounded. We've got no hope. What are we going to do? That seems to be the story about what happens. Why was the servant acting so erratically? Well, he was caught off guard. You know, sometimes in our lives, God just throws something in, throws something uh, to blindside us that just catches us, catches us off guard. We think everything's fine. Everything's, any, anybody who's lived any amount of time knows that sometimes. God just throws something that comes at you and just catches you off guard. That's what was happening here. He was also, he was facing impossible circumstances. He come and the way he was, the way the Bible really describes what he said, what shall we do? It was not like a competent, okay, what are we going to do? Am I going to get my gun and you're going to get yours? And we're going to go out there and we're just going to shoot it out. Oh, are we going to be able to slip out the back? No, it seems that he was just saying, what in the world are we going to do? There is no hope. Whatsoever. There's nothing we can do. We're going to get taken captive by this enemy. We may become slaves. They may even go and they may even kill us. We had a good run, but it's all over now, seems to be what he's facing the impossible circumstances. He was desperate. He saw that there was no light at the end of the tunnel. He was not really focused on the hope that they had in God, he was really just focused on the circumstances that were right in front of him in the opposition. Have you ever felt that way? Has something ever come into your life and you felt like it was impossible, like the circumstances were impossible, like there's no way that you're possibly going to make it through? It happens. I remember when I was leaving for Bible college. This was real encouraging. (laughs) Leaving for Bible college, you have no idea what to expect. You know the location of it. You that's about all you know for the most part. I'm loading up my car, and my parents <laughs> my parents come and they say, I don't we don't think we don't think you should go. We've been planning this thing for you know a few months now. Looking at it, I don't think you should go. We don't there's not enough money. You don't have enough money, and I don't have enough money. Basically, you're gonna go there, get about two months into it, and you're gonna have to come back because. It's just, I mean, it's impossible. We've looked at the finances, and I thought, wow, that's really encouraging. I'm getting in my car, I'm driving 550 miles to Knoxville, Tennessee, and you're telling me that I'm not going to, that, that, that we don't have enough money. And as, you know, a young 18-year-old kid, I mean, I didn't have a whole lot of faith at that time, um, but I went anyways. And it felt impossible at the time, but, you know, God opened up doors, and things happened, and... I was able to finish actually in four years, which is a miracle. Many people, it takes longer longer than that because of finances and other things. But for me, that was an impossible circumstance. Have you ever felt an impossible circumstance? My parents, one time, they were facing, um, you know, losing their house or whatnot, and they were praying and praying and asking God. And it was like the day that they were supposed to lose their house, a check came in the mail. I'm not exactly sure all the details, but a check came in the mail for the exact to the exact cent that they needed to pay it off. That's pretty amazing. In facing some impossible circumstances, money that they didn't have, but yet God provided for it. If you've never felt like you faced impossible circumstances, at some point God will, God will put you there. He'll test you. It's absolutely true. After he was caught off guard and after he looked and saw that the circumstances were impossible, fear took over. Isn't fear the natural reaction? We know he feared because... In the next verse, we haven't read it yet, but Elisha commands him, he says, fear not. Don't fear. But his natural reaction was to fear. Many years ago, there was a, a TV show. It was called Fear Factor. I'm not sure if any of you ever remember that show. When I was a little kid, it was just becoming the big thing, and it fell off. And then a, about a year ago, it came back on. And so I flipped and I watched it. And if you know anything about Fear Factor, it's uh, it's a Kind of like a creepy show. They put people through different groups of people through these different tests, and they have to do crazy tasks in it. And it stresses their level, uh, the level of fear, really, that they can take. And it goes from anything. You know, they'll they'll tie weights on you and put you into a pool, and you'll have to, you know, try the keys and you know until you can figure out which one to unlock and get out before you drown. Crazy stuff like that. Um, but the ones that usually always get the people the most, and they always respond in fear. Usually it's the girls, and it has to do with bugs or spiders. And it's interesting, almost every time, this one in particular that I'm talking about, um, some, they had to find the locks again to unlock something, and they pulled back the cover, and there was, you know, a clear box filled with these snakes that were all coiled up, and underneath the snakes were the keys. Crazy. Absolutely. And so, you know, the girls, you, it's, it's the way you win it, and I guess you get the prize money, is the fastest team to complete it wins. And so they run over there, and they start, the guys start pulling off the snakes, grabbing the keys, and the girls, they go over, and they don't do anything. One girl reaches her hand in, and a snake comes up to kind of nip at her, and she's done. She's paralyzed by fear. It's over. She couldn't see the prize money at the end. It was over at that point right there. And me too. I wouldn't be messing with no amount of money in the world. (laughs) Pastor Moon and Pastor Lytel, they know snakes with me is a no-go. But fear is something that can just paralyze you and stop you in your tracks. Instead of responding in fear, we should respond in faith. But it actually, it takes some training. It's not something that just happens. Uh, by itself. It takes some training. Think about Elisha. You know what? It doesn't seem as if that Elisha was very startled by any of this. The Bible doesn't say that he knew that they were coming. I assume that he didn't know that they just showed up. But think about the things that Elisha had seen in his life. Think about the miracles when he was working underneath uh, Elijah, the things that he had seen. Right before Elijah died, he saw Elijah take his mantle Uh, Smacked the waters, and they parted, and they walked over on dry ground. Immediately after that, he saw a chariot come swoop down and take Elijah back to heaven. He then takes Elijah's mantle, goes back, smacks the water, the waters part. After that, he goes over, and he meets a woman who has a big debt, and you know the story about the pots of oil, and he sees probably tens or maybe even hundreds of pots of oil that were filled, and it just kept coming out and out of one pot of oil. Another thing that he had seen before this story right here, he had seen an old couple, the Shulamite couple, who was too old to have children. But yet he saw them a year later, after he met with them, have children. Years later after that, that same boy died. And you know what, Elijah, Elisha, I'm sorry, raised that boy back to life. Naaman, as we talked about earlier, he saw Naaman, his leprosy healed. And actually, right in the few verses before we started reading in verse number 8, he had just witnessed an axe head floating on water. He had seen a whole lot of stuff. I feel like that his faith was very strong at this part. And that's, to me, why the young boy responded in fear, but yet Elisha seemed cool, cool as a cucumber because he knew what God could do. He knew the power that God had. How about you? When a circumstance comes into your life and it just kind of throws you off guard, throws you off balance, you look at the circumstances and they're impossible, do you respond in fear or do you respond in faith? Many of us in here, we've seen God work many times that at this point in our Christian life, we shouldn't be focusing on fear at all, no matter how big the circumstances must be. No doubt this was a tough situation. It was an impossible situation, but we're not going to stop there. We're going to see... Secondly, the provision. Verse 16, we're going to read 16 through 19. We'll see the provision here. In verse number 16, it says, And he answered, Fear not, for they that be with us are more than they that that be with them. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray thee, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw. This is an amazing story. Behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire round about Elisha. And when they came down to him, Elisha prayed unto the Lord and said, Smite this people, I pray thee, with blindness. And he smote them with blindness according to the word of Elisha. Elisha tells the servant not to fear because they that are with us are more than they that are with them. Now, I think at this point, probably the servant is thinking, okay, this preacher, he's gone absolutely crazy. I thought he was crazy before, but he's totally off his rocker now. If you look anything about the city of uh, Dothan, it's a small city outside Samaria, about maybe 12 miles, something like that, from Samaria. And I imagine the servant at this point, he already responded in fear. So I, ima- I imagine that his first thought was not, okay, he's talking about the spirit world. He's talking about God's presence or whatever. I assume that he was just thinking, oh my goodness, this old man, he's he's gone crazy. Dothan's just a small city. It's not a military base. You know what? There might be people here, but they're just common, ordinary people. They're not fighters. There's no chance. We're not going to win. The army's not going to back down. But at that moment, Elisha prays that that God would open the eyes of the young man Elisha wasn't talking about physically. He was talking about spiritually, and really for a select moment in history, human eyes were able to see into the spirit world and see actually what was going on. Awesome. Usually when I preach to the teenagers, I, I like preaching over uh, uh, stories such as this, and I always say, "Oh man, this is like my favorite story. This is my favorite story. This is my favorite. You know what? This one's just it's just an awesome story. I wish I could be there." When I was preparing for this, I I typed in, you know, the the name, uh, Dothan. It's still the same name that's in Israel today. You can look it up. And I remember clicking on some of those pictures and thinking, man, I wonder if that was the mountain. And kind of, you know, in your mind, going and picturing the horses, the chariots of fire that were there, that were surrounded around Elisha. That'd be awesome. That would be amazing. A short time after this, when his eyes are open and he sees what's actually going on, the Syrian army descends down to Elisha to take him captive, followed by Elisha praying and asking God that he would blind them. The threat was eliminated, and they were given the victory. God's provision, no doubt, it was miraculous. This same story, it actually kind of reminds me a little bit about when Jesus was on the boat with the disciples on Galilee. Jesus was asleep in the bottom of the boat. The disciples were were up, you know, on the deck, and they were fishermen. Some of them, they knew how bad the storm was. A storm came up, and they were afraid for their lives. They come running down, waking Jesus up. "Help us, help us. We're going to die. We're going to die." And Jesus, I imagine he just gets up calm, goes out there, and we've all seen the different pictures about how he just maybe, who you knows, spreads his arms and says, "Peace, be still." And he looks over at his disciples and, oh, ye of little faith. Anybody who studied the Old Testament, especially uh, 2 Kings, they know Elisha is is a type or a picture, we would say, of Christ. And this story exactly symbolizes really almost the same thing that happened over there. A problem arised. The young servant went, just like those disciples did, went over there, probably woke up Elisha, shaking him, get up, get up, get out of bed. It's all over. And Elisha goes out there. He says, You fool, open your eyes. See what God's doing. That's what was going on. What's a miracle? Well, here's a definition: a miracle, a surprising and welcoming event that is not explicable by natural or scientific laws, and there and is therefore considered to be a work of divine agency. Have you ever experienced a miracle? Yeah? Some of you say here, well, you know what? I've never seen anything like that before. I've never seen the Red Sea part. You say, I've never seen somebody physically raised from the dead. But you know, really a bigger miracle than all those things that Elisha was facing was the salvation of just one soul. Absolute miracle. It's an absolute miracle that at at the age of 18, after rejecting the gospel, hundreds. I tallied it up one time. It was almost in the thousands about how many times I had the opportunity to respond to the gospel from by, from going to church, from chapel, and it was in, it was almost, I think it was in the thousands about how many opportunities I had, but it was an absolute miracle that God one more time convicted me and at that moment when I simply put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ, repented of my sins, and he miraculously saved me. Wow, that's a miracle. Absolutely. It's not something that could be measured scientifically, there's no way to explain it. We can't look at the laws of science and try to figure it out. No, it's a miracle. And the same thing is true for you or anybody who has put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Not only was it miraculous, but it was supernatural. I like to imagine that when that Syrian army was coming down and coming down to take Eli- uh, Elisha, they had no clue Absolutely no clue what was going on. They had no clue that maybe feet from them, God's angels were ready to just rip them to pieces. Just at any given command, they were ready to go down there. Maybe the angels with their fists clenched around their swords, ready to just ride and just wreak havoc on that whole Syrian army, but yet they had no clue about it whatsoever. They they marched down there, really just like a bunch of idiots coming to coming to get Elisha. Crazy thing is, and I was kind of disappointed when you, know, when you read this, you're like, man, I wish God would have just said, get him. You know, it didn't happen. Of course, we know that Elisha prayed and asked God to blind them when they got closer, um, and that's the way that it happened. But I think about this supernaturally. You know, Through eyes of faith, we as believers, we are able to see the supernatural. I'm not talking about being able to see, oh, there's an angel over here and, you know, demon forces over here. No, but I'm talking about we're supernaturally able to understand what's going on in the world and when we're faced with different situations. The unsafe people, they can't figure out why we would give our lives to the gospel. They don't understand why we go out door to door and share the gospel. They can't see the supernatural. They don't understand it. No one could understand why anybody would take out their checkbook and write something for missions or put money in the offering plate for the church. Why would you do that? Nobody can understand why missionaries like this family right here would go and really risk their lives not knowing what to expect, and they've thought about all that. Going over to Kenya to share the gospel. It doesn't make sense, but for us that have experienced the miracle of God, the supernatural is no problem. But these Syrian armies, they had no idea what was going on. He was also at the last moment. Think about the fact that they didn't really get delivered from the Syrian army until they got all the way close. Elisha then commands that they would be blinded. If I was in this situation, I would just be, like I said before, just waiting for God to unleash the angels upon them. But that didn't happen. God had a different way about it, and they were blinded. And sometimes, really, it wasn't until the last moment, and sometimes God kind of allows our feet, to be dangled over the fire a little bit before we get delivered. Even though we know that God's in control of everything, even though we know like this young servant, he looked up and he could see the angels of God and the chariots of fire and the horses that were all around him. He knew that God was in control, but even after he knew, God didn't deliver him right away. It wasn't until, hey, that army got closer and closer and closer, and it wasn't until right about when they were confronted that they were delivered from the enemy. Think about whenever I go and come up here and do my Bible verses. A few months back, I was doing one, and I stumbled up, and I lost my place, and I kind of paused for a second, and I just went completely brain dead. At that moment, Pastor Moon and Pastor Lytel, luckily, they knew the verse, and they just gave me the word and uh, helped me out. And I told them afterwards, I said, man, you guys are so nice. I said, if it was me, I would have let me suffer up there a little bit longer. (laughs) Let me just, you know, dangle over the fire a little bit. For whatever reason, we're not always sure why sometimes God allows us to just be dangled over the fire a little bit. He turns the heat up. He doesn't always deliver us right away. And I'm not preaching today either, health and wealth, Christianity. I'm not preaching that. I mean, how can we think about people like Stephen, who was stoned to death for his faith? We hear about stories of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Oh, yes, yay, they were delivered, which is true. We hear about Paul many times, yes... He was delivered, but you know, of course we don't always know. What about John the Baptist who was beheaded? What about all the disciples that lost their lives? What about people like John Wycliffe who gave their life translating the Bible? You have people like Jim Elliot who went on the mission field, but he died really before he could establish the gospel really in that area. And some of those things we look at and we can't really understand why and we almost think like, okay, well, I believe in God and so God's going to deliver me all the time from everything. Oh, like I'm sick. God's going to deliver me from this sickness. That's not always the case. Why? We, God's ways are not our ways. We don't always understand why. Sometimes he doesn't allow us to be delivered from it. In this case, he did. But in every situation, number three, God has a purpose. The first thing we saw was a problem. The second thing, we saw was the provision. The third thing is the purpose. Why did all this happen? Verse 19 through 23 says this. And Elisha said unto them, This is not the way. Neither is this the city. Follow me, and I will bring you to the man whom ye seek. But he led them to Samaria. And it came to pass, when they were come into Samaria, that Elisha the Lord opened the eyes of the men that they may see. And the, and uh, the Lord opened the eyes, and they saw. And behold, they were in the midst of Samaria. And the king of Israel said. Uh, said unto Elisha, when he saw them, My father, shall I smite them? Shall I smite them? And he answered, Thou shalt not smite them. Wouldest thou smite those whom thou hast taken captive with thy sword and with thy bow? Set bread and water before them, that they may eat and drink and go to their master. And he prepared a great provision for them. And when they had eaten and drinking, eaten and drunk, he sent them. He sent them away, and they went to their master. And here's the last part. So they, so the bands of Syria came no more into the land. Of Israel. After Elisha, through God's power, blinding those men, they were able to follow him. Some some Bible scholars, uh, you know, they think that it wasn't an actual blindness. You know, they they think it was maybe some sort of, uh, you know, Obi Wan Kenobi Jedi mind trick. These are not the droids you are looking for. Something like that. If you've seen, you know what I'm talking about that it was just some sort of mental delusion that he had. And whether it really, it doesn't matter necessarily whether it really was a mental delusion or they were actually physically blinded. They were brought and they followed Elisha, not knowing where they were going, to Samaria, which was not far away. They opened their eyes. God opens their eyes. They're in the midst of this city. And of course, at that moment, you think the tables have turned. You came down here to get Elisha, but now you are the ones that are in trouble. The king asked, should I put him to death? Can I do it? That was a normal thing to do in that day. But that's not what happened. Elisha goes and he says, no. He says, get bread and water and set it before him. The Bible actually says that they prepared a great provision for them. And they set up a great feast for the enemy. Who does that? So that they could eat and drink and go back to their master. Interesting enough. What was God's purpose in all this? God had a purpose that he would allow those people to go through that faith-shaking situation. Really, he has a purpose for you and I whenever we go through any faith-shaking situation. One reason that I think this story happened here, God allowed it to happen so he could reveal his power. Think about this. All the other times we read at the beginning of this, this whole message, we read at the beginning about how God had delivered the Israelites multiple times. Not once, not twice, but it seems like many times they were delivered. Why did God not just allow that to continue to happen? Why did God allow this situation right here? He could have just easily told Elisha in advance that, hey, these people are coming, get out. And you know what? They would have never been confronted with them, and it could have went on just fine. But you know, for some reason, God divinely appointed that meeting. Think about all the times that God spared you. Think about the times when you're driving down 41 and some crazy old person almost hits you. It happens all the time. It absolutely does. Or the texting and drivers, those two, those ones. But think about all the times we've been spared. I wish we could see how many diseases that we've come in contact with over the years that we haven't contracted. And then whenever something bad happens, we get in a a terrible car accident, or maybe we come down with a terrible disease. We think, why is God doing this to me? And we think that God has never even thought about it before. He has no idea what's going on, or that he has no purpose in it whatsoever. How many times has he allowed us not to face some things? So when things do come into our life, we can look at it and say, wow, God must have a purpose for this. We can't do that when fear is our natural reaction. It revealed God's power to the young boy who it seemed like at that moment hadn't experienced a whole lot of faith, but he was able to see the power of God. It strengthened the faith of Elisha. We talked earlier about how Elisha, all the things that he had seen, that simply just added to his faith. You might be sitting here and say, oh, you know, God, I've had a lifelong you know, uh, Christian faith. I've done what's right, but why am I facing this at the end? Well, maybe God's just putting another thing you can say, well, I know God's there. I know he cares about me. I know he's got a purpose in it. We also see that it allowed these people to show the kindness uh, to the enemy. No nation would have done that, allowed them to go back. Maybe God's brought some tough times into your life simply so that you can show God's love and kindness to others. I'm going to close with this last uh, story. Uh, of A few months ago, there was a, a terrible thing that happened. Uh, a young... Uh, not young, but a couple sent their kid away to a Bible college. He was a junior at this time, and he was just like every other kid, went there. And the kid got in a terrible car accident. He was actually one of the Crown College students. Got in a terrible car accident. Maybe you saw it on TV or on Facebook or something like that. And it turned out that he had somehow crashed his car. The impact had been so severe that he began to kind of almost hallucinate where he was. He ended up stumbling and falling into a lake where he drowned. And you think, man, that's just a terrible story. They did some research and there was no, there seemed to be an autopsy that there was no foul play involved, that that's exactly what happened. You think, why did God let that happen?
1: And I'm not sitting here
0: tonight saying that, oh, I know why God allowed that to happen. I'm not saying that by any means. And I'm not saying that I know exactly why God allowed you to go through certain things. But an interesting thing from that, Is they were constantly interviewing the parents and over and over again the parents were saying well we know we know that our son i believe his name was blake isn't that right his name was blake he says we know that blake knew jesus christ as his lord and savior and you think wow maybe that was i mean i don't know but is it possible that that could have been the reason just before that, a few months ago, he had preached at their church for their New Year's Eve. I think they did one of those all night New Year's Eve things. And he preached at it. And his sermon that he preached was videoed and it was circulating around. And isn't it possible that maybe he reached more people with the gospel, maybe in his death, than he would have done in his entire life? And it was interesting to see that the parents saw that God had a purpose in all of it. And so, even in the most tragic situations, When life's just going good and something hits you out of nowhere, when a problem hits you, hey, open your eyes. See God's provision, the way he provides. And also open your eyes to see what his purpose might be in all of it. Let's pray, and we'll be finished. Lord, thank you for the opportunity to be here. Uh, I pray that if there's anyone in here struggling with uh, their faith life, uh, that they would just get it nailed down today. Help us to uh, see your provision and see your purpose and everything that you bring into our lives in Jesus' name.
1: If you would like to trust Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, why don't you do it right now? It's simple, really. Here's a couple of Bible verses that'll help you to understand. Probably the most well-known verse in all of Scripture is John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That verse says, whosoever believeth, the whosoever is you. But the whosoever believes what? Number one, you need to understand that you are a sinner. God says in Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Number two, you need to understand that nothing that you can do, getting baptized, belonging to a church, going to a church, donating money, while all good things they will not satisfy a just God. God says in Titus 3.5, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to God's mercy he saved us. And number three, you need to understand that Jesus died for your sins. He was buried and resurrected the third day, and if you believe that, God promised in Romans 10.9 that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved." Your prayer of confession could go like this. Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner unworthy of your mercy, but ask for your mercy and your forgiveness. I know I can't get to heaven on my own, but I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins. He was buried and resurrected the third day that I might be saved and have a new life. Save me, Lord Jesus. Amen. If you asked Jesus to save you, would you do me a favor? Let us know so that we can pray for you and rejoice with you. Our church phone is 239 947 1285. The website is www.gospelbaptistchurch.com or go to iTunes podcast at gospelbaptistchurch.com.